Good morning, everyone. Uh, my name is John Schultz, and I have the honor of serving as associate pastor here at Fort Caroline. We've spent uh, last week, and this week we'll close out uh, the series, kind of a mini-series, if you will, on the life of Samson. Samson is one of those figures in the scriptures in the Old Testament uh, that we remember a lot of the negative about his life and don't remember a lot of positive because there isn't a lot positive there. Just being honest with you, there's, there's a lot uh, that we see in his life beginning in Judges 14 and 15 uh, that talk about uh, his life in a very bad way, choices he's made. Judges 13, we looked at it last week. And it really talked a lot about his predictions, his beginning, the, the prediction to his parents that they were going to have uh, a son and, and what that son was going to accomplish and how they were to have a part in that really uh, from the point of his conception, how mom had prenatal instructions, how they were to teach him and, and involve him in his life and that they were to raise him up in a home that honors God and understands his calling. If you'll remember, last week we were introduced, probably many of you for not the first time, to a verse in Proverbs 22, verse 6. It says, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he'll not depart from it. Uh, and you know that verse has been one probably that you've either written on your refrigerator or that you've memorized, or this may be the first time that you've ever heard that verse or thought about the propositional claims of that verse. Here's what I want you to understand about that verse. That verse is much more of an axiom than it is to be taken as a narrative truth. If I look at, uh, at John 3.16, I'll use that as a comparison. John 3.16 says, for God, so, in fact, you, many of you could say it, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. I have no idea why I remember it in the King James. I, I guess I do. Most, most all of my other verses are NIV. Uh, but um, I, yeah, I will tell you, the propositional claims of John 3.16 are true for all people in every scenario from the point of Jesus forward. There is no other way to understand John 3.16 other than through Jesus Christ being the only way to a right relationship with God. You can't look at that and come out of it and say, well, that's allegorical or that may be true for you, but it's not true for me. But when I look at uh, Proverbs 22, 6, I see it's a poetic genre. It is poetry. It's to be understood in a poetic understanding. It's an axiom rather than a historically narrative truth. And when I look at it, though, there are promises and there are challenges for every one of us that has children. Because it says that if you train up your children in the way that they should go, that when they are older, they, uh, it says they will not depart from it. And what I would tell you is, is that you set them up for a life that understands the truth, and then when, we, when they leave the house, it's up to them to say, am I going to apply the truth? Okay? So when you left the house today, if you drove here, you know where Fort Caroline is. Now, if this is your first time here, maybe you had to take GPS or whatever to get you here, but if you have been coming here many times, you've been able to take the knowledge that you have, transfer that to understanding, you made a decision, you're able then to act on that, right? You know where it is, you know the location, you know how to get here, those kinds of things. That's knowledge that's embedded in you because of repetitive activity. 
Okay? But if we're going to be honest as well, many of us in this room, me too, have periods in my life, years, where I knew the truth, but I didn't apply the truth to my life. I knew the truth of God's Word. I was saved in 1979. In fact, I think I shared with you all last week that I mark about the 40th, I guess it's the 40th anniversary, if you will, in July sometime of knowing Christ as my personal Savior. And I'd be lying to tell you that I lived all of those 40 years perfectly in obedience, never sinned, never did anything wrong. Man, I wish I could, but if I did and I was Pinocchio, I'd knock one of you guys over with my nose because it's just not true. But what I do know is the foundational principles that were laid in my life of Scripture memory, Bible study, Bible reading, uh, those foundational principles that I had in my life as I was running from the Lord, God brought people into my life in order to remind me of that. And as I got myself positioned under the Word more and more, He used His Word in my life as a child of God to revive in me the way that I should live. And he does that in our lives. So what about Samson? Because we're going to look today at the culmination of the life of a young man who lived out a life as though he were not a believer, a follower of the true and living God. Even though his parents raised him up in a home that we believe, that all indications are, that they taught him about the true and living God. They taught him about his purpose. They taught him those things. When it came to the time for Samson to leave the nest, when he launched out on life, he chose to live a life that gratifies himself and live for himself more than he lived for God for the remaining 20 years of his life until he was near the end of his life. Here's what I'm going to say. When you live your life for you and the pleasures that you want, often it takes a crisis of belief for you to consider something new. Don't you think that Samson's parents longed to hear Samson's come home? Because you see, all of Samson's antics were within about 20 miles of where he planted, where he was born, where he grew up. Within about 20 mile circle of where he grew up, all of the antics in scripture that are recorded about him are in about that circle area. So I believe using the, the, the normal process of today, and we push that back in history, that his parents probably heard some stories, hey, I, ha I heard about Samson, man, he's gone wild. <laughs> Boy, I heard some stories about Samson and all right, you know, Samson really isn't living out. Don't you think that every time they heard a story, they went back and wondered, but God, you told us. But God, I remember. I remember when the angel of the Lord visited us and, and he told us those things. And God, why is this happening? When you live your life for you, often, often it takes a crisis of belief in order for you to even begin considering something new. Let's go to Judges chapter 16 and verse 1. Samson went to Gaza, and there he saw a prostitute, and he went to her, went into her. The Gazites were told, Samson has come here, and they surrounded the place and set an ambush for him all night at the gate of the city. 
They kept quiet all night saying, let us wait till the morning, uh, till the light of the morning, then we will kill him. But Samson lay until midnight, and at midnight he arose and took hold of the doors of the gate of the city and the two posts and pulled them up, bar and all, and put them on his shoulders and carried them to the top of the hill that is in front of Hebron. Let me stop there for a second. <laughs> Wouldn't you just love to have been a fly on the wall and watched him as he picked those, uh, those gates up, posts and everything, the, the hinges, everything, just put them on his shoulders and walked off, <laughs> walked to the top of a hill in the Hebron area that's, that's quite a ways east of where he normally was, but he, uh, he was there uh, and wanted to show off to everybody, you're not going to do that to me, you're not going to do anything to me. You see, the problem with Samson is this. Samson was physically strong and morally bankrupt and weak. Samson could break down the walls of the gate that were keeping people in and out, but he could not break the chains of the sin that kept him in bondage. He couldn't do it. Why? Maybe because he didn't want to. It wasn't because he didn't hear the truth from mom and dad. It's because Samson was choosing to live a life that honored him more than it honored God. You see, I believe Samson and in his relationships, and we'll see a little bit later on the disaster named Delilah that came into his life, that Samson had a habit of linking up marrying or having relations, uh, being intimate with someone that was not of the like spiritual belief. And I'm going to say something that I myself did not follow early on in my life, and that is I'm urging you to consider not having long-term dating relationships with someone that is not spiritually aligned to where you are. I know that's hard. I know that's not a popular thing. And maybe if it would have been applied to me, I don't know what would have happened to Pam and me. Because you see, when Pam and I married, that's my wife, Pam, uh, when we met, it was in high school, uh, and I thought the thing that was cool about her and the neat thing about her wasn't only she's just beautiful, drop-dead gorgeous, but she had this little southern accent, the L.A. accent, you know what I mean, the lower Alabama accent. And in northern Illinois, man, that was just not heard. And so she comes to school, and, and we meet in the, last, the first part of the senior year and start dating and fall in love, and, and we get married on July 4th of 1976, uh, and we didn't date too long until we got married. Uh, and some people will say, well, why did you get married at, uh, on July 4th? It was even more interesting than that. We actually got married at 12.01 on the 3rd because we wanted to be the first person married in the new bicentennial. Isn't that neat? We're just, we're just young and stupid. We really were. But you know what? Spiritually, I was lost as that other sock you've been looking for. I was lost. And do you know what else I know? Is that little church that we got married at, American Baptist Church in Byron, Illinois, where I grew up, I don't ever remember, and Pam and I have talked about this a bunch, I don't ever remember that pastor asking me, let me ask you both a question. John, do you know Jesus as your Savior? Pam, do you know Jesus as your Savior? Do you have a growing, vibrant relationship with Jesus Christ? Because you see, a marriage when you're unequally yoked, you're going to have problems. You're going to have problems anyway, amen? 
okay? If you're looking at a perfect marriage, do not look at me. If my wife were in here, he'd say, mm-hmm, yeah, that's true. Don't look at me, but I will tell you, if you're not equally yoked, and one is trying to grow in the Lord and one is not, it's going to be a problem. You see, when you try and grow up in the Lord and your sweetheart is not and there's no desire to grow, it creates a friction because you're already going to have friction because we're uniting two people, two families together and we're doing this and we're bringing them together and if they're not spiritually united, you're going to have a problem. And it wasn't until three years later after we got married that finally I came to know Jesus as my Savior. And from that point forward, we were spiritually aligned. It isn't that we didn't have problems, we did. But in July of 1979, I came to faith in Christ, and we could both then begin growing spiritually, which separates the distance between us relationally. Because if you're growing spiritually, you and your sweetheart are growing spiritually, the closer you get to the Lord, the closer she gets to the Lord, or he gets to the Lord, the less distance there is between the two of you. We feel closer. We can talk about like things. We're spiritually aligned. What did you learn today in your quiet time? Wasn't the service, wasn't Pastor John's service today great? <laughs> See, you, you can talk about those things. If one of you is not, when you go home, you feel like, man, I, I better not bring that up. Ooh, better not talk about that. Because I know it makes him or her feel like, oh, I see. That service was all about me, wasn't it? Well, it may have been, but you don't need to remind everybody. Because you see, that lack of alignment spiritually begins to create a problem that just will not go away. But you see, the, the other problem was that Samson was much more concerned about what he wanted than what God wanted in his life. Let's read on uh, in, uh, in verse 4 through verse 5. It says, After this, he loved a woman in the valley of Sorek, whose name was Delilah, and the lords of the Philistines came up to her and said to her, Seduce him and see where his great strength lies and by what means you may, we may overpower him, that we may bind him to humble him. They had other plans. And we will, give, we will each give you 1,100 pieces of silver. Now, there are Bible commentators that say that that 1,100 pieces of silver times five, because these are the five regions, if you will, the five kings of the five key areas of the city of the land of Philistia. So it is much more than 1,100. Uh, it's times five. And the buying power of that in today's money, depending on what the dollar is doing, could be in the millions. So they approach a woman... Then they make a charge to her to say, we will each give you 1,100 pieces of silver if you seduce him and find out the source of the strength that there is because we can't defeat him on our own. So what do they do? They go to his weakness. <laughs> Women. They go to his weakness. You see, that's how the enemy works. We've got to get this in our minds that he does not go to your strengths. If you have a strength, the enemy is not going to all the time try and chip away at that strength. He's going to chip away at your weakness. What is your weakness? Samson was women. 
He had inappropriate relationships uh, many times in his life. And the enemy knew, if I keep him seduced, if I keep him on the shelf, if I keep him involved in relationships with people, with women that are contrary to the women that he should be married with, I'll crush him and I'll continue to crush him. And I'll keep him on the shelf and he'll be ineffective and unproductive and not as productive as he could be. Now, if we look at Samson's life in Toto, if you look at verse, if you look at chapter 14 and chapter 15, you see that he was marginally effective. He really was. He destroyed, he killed a lot of the Philistine people, but he was nowhere near effective as he could have been if he would have pushed aside what he wanted in life and would have elevated what God wanted in his life as someone who was to be set apart. Let's read on. So Delilah said to Samson, please tell me your, where your great strength lies and how you might be bound that one could seduce you. Subdue you, excuse me. <laughs> Wouldn't you love to have this on a date? Hey, I, you know, I know that you're pretty strong. And, you know, I've seen you bench pressing and stuff like that. But what, what would it really take in order for you to lose all of that strength? What would it take? What could I do that would cause you to be as, I don't know, as weak as that guy that can't pick up 45 pounds? What, what could I do in order? I don't know about you. I think the common person would said, man, I'm done with you. <laughs> I am done with you. I can't believe that you would ever act. You don't see Samson saying that at all because Samson wasn't thinking with his head. He was thinking with the lust, with his own wants, his own desires, his own gratification as he went on through life. Uh, the Samson said to her, they bind me with seven fresh bowstrings that have been died, uh, that have been dried, excuse me, then I shall become weak like any other man. The lords of the Philistines brought up to her seven uh, fresh bowstrings that had not been dried, and, uh, and she bound him with them. Now she, now she had men lying in ambush in her chamber, and she said to him, the Philistines are upon you, Samson, but he snapped the bowstrings as a thread of flax snaps when it touches fire, so the secret of his strength was not found. Again, I find it so bizarre to think that he would stay with her, don't you? I mean, I just do. I find it so bizarre. And you know what? If you're going to think very long with me, there's stuff in your life that is ongoing that you know you shouldn't be doing. You're just like this. I'm just like this. I am, I'm more like this and I'm not like this because there are things that I know that I shouldn't do, that, uh, that I flirt too close with, and, uh, and then the next thing you know, you're there. Samson is flirting with danger. Look, uh, let's continue. Uh, verse 10, then uh, Delilah said to Samson, Behold, you have mocked me and told me lies. You can see the big crocodile tears, right? Uh, Please tell me how you might be bound. Really? He said to her, if they bind me with new ropes that have not been used, then I, shall break, then I shall become weak and be like any other man. So Delilah took new ropes and bound him with them and said to him, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. The men lying in ambush were in the inner chamber, but he snapped the ropes off his arms like a thread. Again, she pre-stages everything. She pre-stages the men who were going to take him captive. She goes out and gets new rope. She gets all this stuff. Says, okay, put your hands together. Okay, we're going to try this. Okay, go to sleep. <laughs> Why doesn't he just dump her? I mean, haven't you thought that? This, this is realistic stuff here. This is dangerous stuff. But he's not thinking with this. He's thinking with his wants, his desires, his passion. He's not thinking logically. 
Just crazy stuff. Verse 13. Then Delilah said to Samson, Until now you have mocked me and told me lies. Tell me uh, how you might be bound. As if she wasn't lying to him. <laughs> Come on. He said to her, if you, and He's getting closer though, isn't he? He's flirting more with this and he's getting closer to the source of the strength. He's, he's testing her. He is he's using his own understanding in this, if you weave the seven locks of my head with the, with the web and fasten it tight with the pin, then I shall become weak and be like any other man. That's a headache giver to me. I don't know about you. So while he slept, Delilah took the seven locks of his head and wove them in the web, and she made them tight with the pin and said to him, The Philistines are on you, Samson. But he awoke from his sleep and pulled away the pin of the loom and the web and she said to him, how can you say I love you? Can you see this? How can you say I love you <laughs> when your heart isn't with me? Was her heart with him? Mm -mm. What's she doing? Guilt, manipulation, using it, trying to get to him. She's already counted that money. She's already bought the condo. I mean, she's, she's, she's got the vacation booked. All you need to do is tell me the truth. You have mocked me all these three times. You haven't told me where your great strength lies. And when she pressed him hard with her words, nag, 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 nag. doesn't say that, but that's what's going on. Day after day, urged him. His soul was vexed to death. Didn't even want to come home after work. He, he, he was so tired of this. So what does he do? Does he leave? Does he go find another person that may be spiritually aligned? Nope. Verse 17. And he told her all his heart and said to her, A razor has never come upon my head, for I have been a Nazarite to God from my mother's womb. If my head is shaved, then my strength will leave me, and I shall become weak like any other man. Tragedy. Tragedy. Now, think with me for a second. Here's Samson who's not acting at all like he's a Nazarite. He's not acting like someone who's set apart because if you read in Numbers chapter 6, maybe this evening or this afternoon, you'll see what the, what the Nazarite vow, uh, the person was to be set apart. Normally it wasn't their entire life. Normally it was a period in time. But it, it was Samson's destiny that he was to be set apart from the womb to the tomb, set apart for God's purpose, for God's a vision in his life. He's telling that story and he is being open and transparent with her. Hey, I just got to be honest with you. I haven't been living like I need to live. You see, when I was in my mother's womb, the angel of the Lord visited mom. In fact, before that, before I was ever even conceived, he visited her and dad and told them, your son's going to be an Nazarite. He's going to be special. He's going to be set apart from God. And you know I was. But you know what? For these past 20 years, you could never tell it. I haven't been living a life that honors God. But you know what? I was to be a Nazarite from birth and no razors ever to touch my head. Because you see, that's where the strength lies. No, there wasn't any magic potion in his strength. It was a sign, an outward sign, that he was set apart, he was obedient to God, he was, want, he was being used by God, even though Samson's life didn't even show it. So what does Delilah do? 
Oh, well, thank you so much. Makes my heart feel so much better. You've been honest to me. I'll safeguard this for all of my life. (laughs) Not. Look at verse 18. When Delilah saw that he told her all his heart, this guy is pouring out his heart to her. And what does she do? She stomps on it. She sent and called the lords of the Philistines, saying, Come up again, for he has told me all his heart. Then the lord of the Philistines came up to her, look at this, and brought the money in their hands. This is the real deal. Don't just send the men, send the money. She made him sleep on her knees, and she called a man and had him shave off the seven locks on his head. Then he began, she began to torment him, and his strength left him. And she said, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. And he woke from his sleep and said, I will go out as the other times and shake myself free. Now, this is one of the saddest parts, I think, in Samson's life commentary. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. He didn't know. You see, I think that Samson was so used to doing things on his own strength that he even discounted God's presence in our life. And listen, you and I can be there. We can think that we do things in our own strength, in our own abilities, and we don't even call on to God. We can study on our own and we don't ask God, God, help me to be able to remember the answers to all of the stuff that I've studied in preparation for college or high school or whatever. I, I, don't, I don't even call out to God because I, I know he's kind of there, but, but I don't really rely on him. I just know he's just there. And Samson didn't even know that God had left him because he was so used to doing things on his own. God, I got this. God, I got this. And God said, no, you don't. No, you don't. You don't have this. You think you do, but you don't. You don't have this. You need me more than you think you need me. The Philistine seized him and gouged out his eyes and brought him down to to Gaza and bound him with bronze shackles, and he ground at the mill in the prison. Look at verse 22. This is a little glimmer of hope. But the hair in his head began to grow back again after it had been shaved. You know, these guys forgot, man, that guy needs a regular barber appointment. (laughs) We, We need to, every week, get that guy to the barber. Why? Because I think they thought, like many people do, is that one and done. Shave it off, he'll never, it'll never go back. It'll never happen. He's not going to be strong again. We've defeated him. In fact, we're going to use him just like a circus animal, and that's what absolutely happens. Didn't even know the Lord has left him. Because when you live your life for you, often it takes a crisis of belief, and he's about to have one. Look at verse 23. Now the lords of the Philistines gathered to offer a great sacrifice to Dagon, their God, and to rejoice. And they said, our God has given Samson, our enemy, into our hand. They were all rejoicing to this false God. When the people saw him, they praised their God and they said, our God has given our enemy into our hand, the ravager of our country who has killed many of us. And he did. When their hearts were merry, they called Samson that he may entertain us. So they called Samson out of the prison, and he entertained them. They made him stand between the pillars, and Samson said to the young man who held him by the hand, let me feel the pillars on which the house rests, that I may lean against them. Now the house was full of men and women, all the lords of the Philistines, 
Five regent kings were present. They were all there. On the roof, there were about 3,000 men and women, a very large place. place was packed, 3,000 plus on the ceiling or on the, on the roof, almost a balcony area, who looked on while Samson entertained. Look at verse 28. First time I can find where Samson legitimately prays, he says, Then Samson called to the Lord and said, Oh, Lord God, please help me and strengthen me only this once. Oh, God, that I may be avenged and the Philistines for my two eyes. First time that I see that Samson is not leaning on his own understanding, but he's trusting in the Lord for strength. And listen, this has been a long time coming, and don't you know that he wishes, his parents wish they could have been there, even in this case, to hear him saying, that's my boy. Even though he's made a mess of his life, that's him. That's the one that we knew was going to come out. That's where Proverbs 22, verse 6 Train up a child in the way he should go. And when he is old, he will not depart from it. Samson's probably in his late 30s, could be 39-ish. And in the last moments, he says, God, remember me. Sounds a lot like the, the two men that were nailed next to Jesus. Uh, the thief on the cross, one of them was hailing insults at Jesus. The other one said, Lord, remember me. Remember me, I, we, we deserve this. You see, Samson knew the right, but chose the wrong and been living with it so long it was as if he couldn't even choose the right. But at the end of his life, he chose the right. And Samson grasped the two middle pillars on which the house rested and he leaned his weight against them with his right hand on one and his left hand on the other. And Samson said, let me die with the Philistines. Then he bowed with all his strength and the house fell upon the Lord's and upon all the people who were in it. So the, dead kill, so the dead upon whom were killed at his death were more than those who were killed during his life. First prayer that's recorded, seems to be authentic prayer. We have an end of life spiritual revival in Samson at the end. God, remember me, let me do one more thing to bring you glory. I can't tell you the amount of times that I've been with people that have received a diagnosis that they're not going to live but a few more weeks. They've been in hospice, and I've been in there with family before, and the person who's in hospice says, ask their family, could you step outside just for a minute? And we talk openly, and we talk honestly together, and they're in the last stages of life, and they say, you know what, I made a mess of my life. Do you think that God still hears me? Do you think that God would still hear me if I were to call out to him? And I say, absolutely, absolutely. Because you see, God sees you as you can be. And for the saved person, God sees you as you are. Not what you could be, but as you are. Because you see, he looks at you through the shed blood of Christ. And, and the reminder of the psalmist in Psalm 103 is, is that when God removes your sin, he removes them as far as the east is from the west. They never touch again. But you see, I think Samson needed to be reminded of this as you and I do. So what happens to Samson? Verse 31, then his brothers... He dies, and his brothers and all his family came down and took him and brought him up and buried him from Zora, between Zora and Eskel. This is where he was born. Look at this, in the tomb of Manoah, his father, and he judged Israel 20 years. We not only see a grieving, dad, but we see a grieving family, but we see a dead father. Think with me, 
I believe many times that Samson's mom and dad prayed and prayed and prayed, God, please have our son come home. God, we, we hope to hear a knock, almost like that prodigal son when, when he comes over the hill and, and that father is there and he looks at that hill every day and he says, maybe today is the day that my son is going to come over that hill. And one day he does and the father runs to meet his son. And I think every day until he died, I wonder if dad wonders, is today going to be the day? He died. He didn't see his son return to a right relationship with the true and living God. You see, as parents, it may be that if your child is running from the Lord, and I hope this isn't the way it is, but it could be that this happens, their return, their return back happens after you're gone. So how does God look at us? Does God, did God really look at Samson's prayer and the end-of-life spiritual revival as something that was real and authentic? Turn with me to the book of Hebrews. I think we'll have the verses up here. If you want to, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 32 to 34. See, this is often called the Hall of Fame of Faith because this is a collection of stories of Old Testament people. Many of them made a mess of their life if we looked at only the Old Testament. But when I look at it through the eyes of faith in Hebrews chapter 11, I see a different picture. I see a different story of their life. Hebrews chapter 11, 32 to 34. And what shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah of David, Samuel, and, prophet, and, and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to fight. You see, our failures are not remembered. It's our faith. Isn't that great? Isn't it great to know that when I look back, when God looks at my life and he looks at your life, if you're his, he looks at you through the shed blood of Christ and says, you're my child. You're mine. I, I put my name on you. I've called you my name and you're mine. I do wonder, what could have been if Samson would have lived a life that honored God with all of his life? Not just the last few moments. Yes, yes Samson was used in a variety of ways to, to disrupt the Philistines, but what could have been if Samson would have followed God all of his lives? We don't know. We don't know. That's, that's a chapter that we'll have to read into but what about you? What's your life's chapter? What does God want to do through you? First, you need to come to a, relation, to a relationship with Jesus that's real and personal. Knowing about him is just not good enough. Knowing who he was historically just is not good enough. You've got to know him personally. And well, how do you do that? Well, just like I did in July of 1979, you admit to God that you're a sinner you say, God, I've, I've made a mess of my life. I, I'm a sinner. I know I need a Savior. I've done things, said things, thought things that aren't pleasing to you. And God, I know you call that sin. And God, please forgive me for being a sinner. Please come into my life. Be the boss of my life. I, I don't want to go this direction anymore because I've had a crisis of belief in my life and I don't want to live this way anymore. And I called out to him and I knew he heard me. Can I tell you something? He'll hear you too. Maybe you already know it. 
but you're living your life in such a way that honestly, people could never tell that you're a believer. There's nothing that hallmarks you as being a believer. But you know what? Today, that could change. It could change beginning today. You've got the knowledge. Let's apply it to understanding and make a decision so that you can act on that. Don't leave this place thinking, man, that was a great story, but it doesn't apply to me. It applies to every one of us in this room because God loves you. What if you have a child that's running from God right now? Love them. Love them through this. What if, they, what if I die before they turn back? Yeah, it could happen. It really could happen. Here's, the, here's a critical point. When you live your life for you, often, it takes a crisis of belief for you to consider something new. But it doesn't have to. You see, today, I think you've heard what you need to hear. Now it's up to you and me, me, me too. The hardest thing there is to do is to apply what, the, what I put out. Take that knowledge to understanding and apply it. Will you do that? Will you do that today? So take this knowledge. Maybe you even need to reread it. Go to fcbc.life, reread through the scriptures again and say, God, what is it that you want me to do today with what I've learned? Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the opportunity to be able to see through the eyes of Samson a life that could have been, a life that was set apart from before he was ever conceived, had parents that, as far as we know, Lord, loved him, and it tried to equip him to be a young man that would respect and honor his set-apartness, Lord, we know the rest. We don't know all the story, but we know enough to know that he chose to live a life that honored him and not you. And God, I just can't help but think that every one of us in this room have chapters in our life, or maybe even we're living one right now, that we're living every moment for what pleases me and not what pleases you. And Father, I pray that you give us the strength and you give us the courage to make some radical shifts that we need to make. Maybe, God, that is coming to faith in your son. Maybe it's, it's turning away from a relationship that we know is toxic. Maybe it is just setting myself like a flint, immovable, in a relationship with you that's vibrant and growing and real and personal. God, I pray that each of us in this room would respond in a way with the decision that leads us closer to you. For we pray in Jesus' name, amen.